0: We minister the Word of God to ourselves. And this is how God keeps us. It's not you against Satan. It's the Lord in you against Satan and demons and doctrines of devils and uh, the, the, the age in which we live and the characteristics of the age and the God of the world of this world. Uh, but we need to stay close to the Lord. So that's why we have chapters like this and scriptures like this and verses like this. It's not that, oh, he, you know, so-and-so gets a kick out of, uh, of just exposing error or blasting other ministers about their error. I don't think anybody that really loves Jesus is going to enjoy doing that. But we also understand there's a great, great need for it. And I thank the Lord for it. The Bible talks in the Old Testament about a watchman on the wall, right? So you think that in a literal sense, say on the wall of, uh, around Jerusalem... The watchman that would stay up all night and they would take shifts and turns and it was their job to watch over the city and, and while others were sleeping. Well, I think every believer in our day and age, <coughs> certainly pastors and Sunday school teachers and ministers, but I think every believer is called to be a watchman uh, to some extent. You're watching over your own soul. You're watching over your own life, your own family, your own church. You're helping me watch over this church. Right, And so this is what um, Peter's given a great description uh, about this in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. And as I said, he primarily is, isn't delving so much into the doctrines that are taught. He does a little bit as into the characteristics of the ones teaching the false doctrine. What's their judgment going to be like? What are they like? He com- compares them to natural brute beasts. He compares them to uh, to clouds without rain. Okay, and this is where we're going to look at some of these things tonight. And so, read with me if you would. Second Peter chapter two. Let's pick up uh, what we covered at the last ending last week was chap- was verse nine. So we'll just start there. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Aren't you glad? He delivered Noah. He delivered Lot. Okay. Uh, he, knows how, he, he knows how to deliver, and, and he delivers us, the righteous, okay? And how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He knows how to do it both. He's not, he's not confused at all. He's not going to make a mistake. He won't punish somebody that shouldn't be punished. He won't let somebody off. Into heaven that shouldn't be in heaven, that's not washed in the blood of Jesus. He's not going to make the punishment like we looked at Sunday more severe than it should be. He's got it under control. He's the judge of all the earth. And, and Abraham said to the Lord, back to him, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Absolutely, Lord, you're going to do right. And right? he knows how to do it. We don't have to concern ourselves with that. I'm not the judge who sentences men or false prophets or something like that, what am I to do? I'm to pray for their repentance. Pray for their salvation, their eyes to be open. Pray for those that are listening to them that they would uh, instead be awakened by the Holy Spirit to the truth and confront them and do what God's Word would say to do. It's not my ju- my job to sentence and judge them. God will take care of that, though. We know that. I ought to pray for them. I ought to have a heart for them. I'll never forget Dave Hunt saying he didn't. And I believe him. I believe he's a wonderful, honest man. He's with the Lord now. But he said he never exposed anyone in his newsletters or in his conferences, teaching, or his books. And he did a lot of exposing, y'all. He never did it uh, without weeping over them. Weeping over their souls. Friends of his that may... That he actually knew in the ministry that went astray. People he didn't know that preached false doctrine. Some probably weren't even saved to ever. You know what I mean? And, and yet he cared. He still exposed. He did what a watchman should do. He didn't compromise the truth, but he he was concerned and prayed and wept and put them in God's hands. And I, I think that's a wonderful godly trait. Let's keep reading, <clears throat> but chiefly now he's describing these false prophets, the ones who are reserved into the day of judgment to be punished, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh. Now, how are the believers told to walk this? I say walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's speaking of those who chiefly them who walk after the flesh. It's one or the other. There's not an in between. I can't have one foot in the flesh or, you know, in one foot in the world. I can choose as a believer to walk in the flesh, and I might for five minutes or five days or whatever. But you're not walking in both at the same time, I guess is my point. You're going to be walking in the Spirit, which is to be spiritually minded, or you're being carnally minded, and you're actually walking in the flesh. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. These are those that he's describing all through this chapter, uh, that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. He's still focusing, I think, a lot on sexual immorality and on cleanness, uncleanness, adultery, fornication. I'm not saying that that's all that it is, but it seems to be in all the books that I've studied a primary uh, sin that these false teachers have and that they actually promote. And, and here's another characteristic. They walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. <clears throat> Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. So keep your spot r- marked right there. I want to read one verse uh, in Jude, verse 9. So I said we're going to read some more of Jude tonight because... It's, it's like these two guys almost got together and wrote these epistles. I know they didn't, but they're so similar. And it says in Jude verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, you know, God's angel, the, the, the chief prince of, of Israel, basically. Mark, Michael is that archangel of Israel. When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Now, we don't have any other record in the Bible of this, so we're just giving a little glimpse here that the Holy Ghost showed Jude, Jude about, alright? But obviously it's something that, that, was a real event that took place. When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Did not, or durst not bring against him, against the devil, railing, a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now what are we saying there? There's a humility in that. Even the Archangel Michael, when he was disputing with Satan, about the body of Moses. It's an interesting topic. I wish I could tell you more about it. I wish I knew more about it. But I don't. I just know what the Scriptures say. But the Bible says here that He did not just say, you know, you stupid old devil. You, and you know, and just rail on him. You know what He said? Satan, the Lord, rebuke you. And I can promise you there's a lot more authority and power and boldness in that than me... uh, bringing derogatory statements against Satan and acting like he's no foe at all. He's a serious foe. And I need to resist him steadfastly in the faith, the Bible says. And so, but the, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? It has to do with, um, what in verse 11, you can turn back to, to Peter, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these false teachers... They're so exalted in themselves, self willed, prideful, that they're actually uh, boasting themselves against spiritual authorities and so forth. It's not of the Lord at all. I want to just kind of give a summary first, and then I want to kind of go verse by verse. All right? So I'm just going to uh, read and talk about this for for a moment. Uh, The righteous, I'm sorry. There in the untruths that these false prophets proclaim, there's no power. That's another thing we need to remember about false doctrine and the ones who are, are propagating it. A false doctrine has no real power to deliver a sinner from sin. Think about it. The only thing that can deliver a sinner from sin is the Lord Jesus. And the only thing that can keep a saved person. Walking in victory over the flesh and victory over sin and the temptations that we're all prone to is going to be the, the presence of the Holy Ghost in us. So a false could never do that. A false doctrine could never do that. A false teacher could never bring that truth and, and have the Lord behind them backing that. So there's no real power in, in it to hold basically hold your your life in check, so to speak. What keeps us right now tonight as believers, born-again people, Okay. what keeps us from going off the deep end and going back into our sin all the time? The truth. The spirit of truth that lives inside of us. Right? It's not discipline. There is a place for discipline in in the, the Christian's life. But it's not mere discipline of the flesh that keeps you and I from right now turning to all kinds of lusts that we would want to fulfill in ourselves and actually do it in. It's the Lord, the truth. The false prop, uh, prophets of false prophecies and teaching, there's no power behind it. It could be a big show. There could be a lot of, uh, of uh, emotion. There could be a lot of, certainly, a lot of deception and a lot of uh, noise and clamor around it all. Like it's something big. Okay? There's no power to deliver. Only the Lord can do that. And that causes us to walk in that. They also, these people, that, these false prophets, they, they make excuses for their behavior. They make excuses for their ungodliness. They may even try to use scriptures in a twisted way to do that. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. They despise authority. Now that's a characteristic of the end times. It's a characteristic of all times, but more so in the end times. And we're going to look at a passage on that as well. They're presumptuous. They do not desire to be subject to any authority, to anyone. They're not willing to be subject. But the Bible tells us that we're to be subject to all men, all authorities that God's given us. And we talked about that in 1 Peter, and we're going to look at the verses. Here's the the rule of thumb when it comes to submitting to authority. We're to submit one to another in the Lord. Husbands are to submit to their wives. Um, uh, Church members are to submit to their pastor. This is in context of as unto the Lord. And we're to submit to uh, civil authorities. When is the only time we would not? It is when that, that authority is compelling me or commanding me or instructing me to go against the Word of God. That's the only time. If we just don't like it, I don't like the government at this time. I don't like the new, uh, you know, government that's taken over. The new mayor, the new governor, the new president, the new Congress. It's not the point. We submit to it as long as it's not submitting to it doesn't cause us to disobey Almighty God. That's where we break it off. That's where we say we ought to obey God rather than man, like Peter and John did. Right. That's where we see the persecution come from the world and from oftentimes from the church world as well. It's not necessarily Christian, but they're presumptuous and they 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 venture out and attempt to explore things that are too deep for them that they don't understand. And this is those false prophets talking about things in a haphazard way, in a careless way, as though they're real familiar with it. It might be some deep mystery of God. They really don't have a clue what they're talking about, but they're going to talk about it like they do. Uh, we need to watch that. Uh, they're determined to have their own way. They're not afraid to speak evil of those that are in positions of authority. It just flies out of their mouth. We see it in the world. The things that people say about the president, even if they didn't vote for him, the things that people say... Uh, that, that are, uh, they're just not afraid. There's not a fear of God to even hold them and check it all. Same with these false prophets. They're lifted up in their pride and in their conceit. And let, let's look at this a little bit more. I want to read some scriptures. I've written some of these down. So just for time's sake, I want to read this. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Romans 13, 1, if you're taking notes. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be, be are ordained of God. So you, that says, even if there's somebody ungodly in a position of authority, that God ordained the power or that position or that, posi- that authority as a whole. Doesn't mean they're saved. Doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Again, doesn't mean we obey them. If they're telling you to do something ungodly, they're unchristian. It does mean that they're in that position and God has allowed them to be there. Um, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken, this is specifically ministers, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. considering the end of their conversation. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Another one, First Peter chapter 2, 13-15. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king of supreme or the governors unto them, or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. I'm just going to stop. We've got lots of verses about civil authority and even uh, authority within the church. They were to submit to that. But these false prophets are, are, are walking around in a great arrogance. And Paul said in Timothy that uh, in the last days, what kind of times would come? What say? Perilous. That means like scary, dangerous. Dangerous times are going to come. Men are going to be lovers of their own, their own selves. Proud. Blasphemers. Boasters. Disobedient to parents. This is, and it goes on, but it, this is not just heady, high-minded, right? Traitors, uh, despisers of that which is good. This is a characteristic, and it's easy to see how that would be in the world. But I believe that would also be a characteristic of the church in the end times. Not the true church of Christ, but well, I could talk often about this big heading of Christianity, what falls under the umbrella of Christian in our day, not necessarily born again, okay? And so we see this in the ministry. We see it in church members. We see it on the platform, so to speak, of churches. Parading itself. Heady. High-minded. Proud. Okay? And uh, disobedient to parents even and so forth. We see this. And uh, they're walking after the lust of the flesh. Now, evil words. We're talking about (coughs) false prophets, right? Are going to accompany evil deeds. I believe that. I believe it from the Word of God. I believe from the, the Lord. Just that truth, that knowing. And I believe it and I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in, in the people that I've known where I have seen false prophets and some people, false teachers. Evil words accompany evil deeds. And evil deeds accompany evil words. So if they're preaching something false, they might talk about love and they might have a big smile on their face. They might talk about uh, just coming into God's presence. They might talk a lot of things that are wonderful, but if there's false doctrine in it, there are also going to be people that if you got to know them, they're liars, okay? They're proud. They might be committing adultery. There's 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 just the evil deeds accompany the evil words. They go together. You cannot divide that. You can't just say, well... You know, it's, it's no big deal. He, he, so-and-so is a little off in their doctrine. I might not know what sin they're into, but I can promise you they're into something that's not of God. At some point, if they're off in their doctrine, they're going to be off in their living, their lifestyle. Because doctrine is not just some arbitrary thing. It's not it's just some legalistic baloney that's not important. It's important. Continue in it, Paul said, because in doing so, you're going to save yourself and them that hear you. It's important what we believe. Sound doctrine and right doctrine. So we go on ourselves. I don't hate someone that's in false doctrine, but I'm not going to I don't have to sit under it. And I can point it out as God would allow me to point it out. And I can pray for their souls. I don't have to compromise because I love them. I can still love them and tell them the truth. Paul said, "No, am I become your enemy now? Because I tell you the truth? No, he loved them more than anyone, right? And so, it's, it's interesting. That, but they speak evil of things. Uh, let's, let's read this. Um, presumptuous are they. They speak evil of dignities. And it says, that, um, they're, but these as natural brute beasts, verse 12, made to be taken and destroyed. So picture a farm animal. Only reason the farmer or the, the big commercial farmer is raising all those chickens is because they want to put them in the chicken McNuggets. Okay, they're made for that purpose. And so these as natural brute beasts, they live like animals. Guess what? They're going to die like animals in the sense that God's going to judge them, not not dying like they were created in the image of God and saved by His grace and reflecting the glory of God back through our lives. They're going to die. They want to live like animals. They're fulfilling all the lust of their flesh, giving into their appetites like an animal would do. Uh, They're going to be taken and die that way. As natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, they speak evil of things, listen, that they understand not. Now, doesn't the Bible tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe verse 14? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. Not only does he not want to, he doesn't receive it, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. It's the only way they can be discerned is by the Holy Ghost in us. That's why it's not a question of intellect, and it's not a question of age, it's a question of the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Are you born again? Because if you are, the Spirit of Truth lives in you. If the Spirit of Truth lives in you and you are yielding to Him and allowing Him to teach you and praying and studying, you're going to have an understanding of spiritual truths. That the wisest of wise men over here, it may be in a pulpit, may be teaching in a seminary somewhere, that's not truly born again, they can study the Greek and the Latin and the pig Latin. They can study it all and not know What you know. And one man said, you know, a believer on his knees can see more than the wisest man on their tiptoes. Okay, it's a true believer humbly walking with their Lord is going to have this discernment or this understanding of spiritual things. But these people, it says they speak evil of things which they understand not. And again, these are false prophets. To me, this is not just the Muslim, the, the, uh, the, uh, the atheist, the humanist, the, uh, the Buddhist, Okay, the Hindu, the Satanist. This would be people that parade themselves as believers, Christians, speaking on behalf of God, speaking on behalf of Jesus, speaking the truth to your life. This is not somebody that says, I'm a Satanist. And this is why they're false prophets, okay? They're false prophets. They're seducing spirits. They seduce in doctrines of devils, made to look very similar to the real. From the prophet to the prophecy, made to look very real for the purpose of seducing people to get them to follow after that which is not true. Maybe all the time thinking they're right in the truth. That's the scary part, isn't it? Marching along, thinking they're serving God, thinking they're serving Jesus, thinking thinking that they're preaching his word, believing his word, holding to his word, the experience that they just had in that service was God, was the Holy Spirit. Thinking this when it in fact was false. Again, we don't live in fear of that. I told you our protection from that, but we're conscious of it. The Bible wants us to take heed. I mean, the Lord wants us to take heed of these kind of things. And it says that uh, these are they, and it says, they, verse 12, the end, they shall utterly perish in their own corruption. It's their corruption. It's their own sin. like we would all die in our own sin if we didn't come to Jesus. <coughs> Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, uh, you're, you're all going to perish uh, you will all likewise perish if you don't repent. Okay? I'm paraphrasing it. And so, but these are going to perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of the unrighteous. Just like there is a reward for the righteous. There's a gift of a God that's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord for every believer that's truly born again. But doesn't the Bible also speak of rewards? Crown of life and a martyr's, martyr's crown and so forth. There's crowns that, that the Lord gives. Uh, at the judgment seat of Christ that will be rewards that when we receive, I believe in and knowing that it was only the grace of God that we received anything from the Lord. It's Bible speaks in Revelation of those, these elders which represent the church robed in their white robes, casting those crowns back at the feet of Jesus. It's like, Lord, you're worthy. You gave me the reward for winning so many people to you, Lord, or dying for you. When I was persecuted, I laid down my life for you. The only way I was able to do it is you gave me the strength to do it. So I thank you, God. All glory to God, right? There's going to be rewards for believers. There's also going to be different degrees of punishment. And these lost people, these false prophets, are going to be at the top or the bottom, however you want to look at it. And they're going to receive. Hell's going to be hell. The lake of fire is going to be the lake of fire for everybody that doesn't know Jesus. But there are rewards for leading other people astray. Punishments, I guess. It says here, the reward. They're going to receive the reward of their, of their own uh, unrighteousness. Verse 13. As they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Now, doesn't the Bible say that... Uh, that they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken drunk are drunken in the night. Don't you see that most sin is under the cloak of darkness? It is right. You know some some uh, some movie theater that's showing uh, you know uh, the, the wrong kind of movies or whatever it may be. Things are covered. The bars are not full. You know, not in the morning. It's under the cover of darkness. and But these are so proud that they are very open about their sin. As, as in, even in the daytime, there's no even kind of normal shame. Just like you would say about our country, I would say about our country. In years past, even though everybody wasn't born again, there was a fear of God that kept a lot of sinful things in check. People not, might not have done it, even though they weren't born again. They would not have indulged in such and such. Not Now, not only do people indulge in it, but they are open about it and proud about it and shove it in your face and it's in daytime. Okay? It's in the light. Whereas it used to be, even if somebody did that, they would have been ashamed or covered it. They didn't want everybody to know about it. But this is the, this is that arrogance we talked about. Pride. What happened to Satan? He got lifted up in himself. He got enamored with his own beauty. And he said, I'll be like the Most High. And I'm going to set my throne in the place of of Almighty God. He says he was lifted up in his pride. And the Lord just cast him down. It wasn't any struggle or fight. He just cast him down. But that's where pride, um, the pride of these false prophets come. And so they're sitting in the daylight, openly, and, and what they do to justify their sin is to, to twist Scriptures, to pick Scriptures, and, and, and you know, you could do it. You never see, If you're cutting little words out of the newspaper here and there and put together a sentence. Well, it's not how it was really written, originally written in the article. You take a word, V here, and another word here, and you put it all together. And it's kind of like people can do with the Scriptures. They can twist them, to make them seem, say what they want them to say. And another way that I believe it's done, and I'm quoting a man that already says, you'll hear this, nothing is wrong if it's truly done in love. Now that sounds warm and fuzzy. And God is love, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, and the greatest of these is love. And our first, first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord and love our neighbors. as a second. But that's not, that statement is not true. Nothing is truly wrong if it's done in love. But that's how they can condone in the church homosexuality or adultery or something like this. Uh, and, and then what happens is people sitting under this and there are people that sit under that. They shouldn't, but they do. They sit under that and they think, well, gosh, if he said it and if he does it, or she, he, she in the pulpit says it and she does it, must be okay for me, just a layman, just a member of the church. They're a spiritual person and they're saying it's okay. And it's not okay. Okay? It's not okay at all. And let's keep reading. Spots are they, halfway through verse 13. Spots are they and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. These feasts are, are what we would what well, were called love feasts, and I know that sounds kind of weird. It wasn't weird. The term that was used would have been the Lord's Supper or the believers coming together for spiritual purpose, fellowshipping. But so these people, again, it's not the Muslim. It's not the atheist. It's not the one who says there's no God. This is the people. And where are they? They're, they're feast with you. Who's Peter writing to? The beloved. These, these Christian brothers. He starts both of his epistles that way. He's writing to believers. And he says they're feasting with you. They're in the Lord's Supper with you. The church fellowship with you. The spiritual moments. The spiritual gatherings with you. They're right there with you. And this is what I think is very important. That we see that. And he says there's spots. That means something that's unclean. Like a blemish. A mark. Something that should not be there. Among you, it says, the blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and listen to this and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. It's not that they they themselves are uh, here. The picture is given that the description of them that they because of their lives they are beguiling unstable soul. In other words, that's a verb there. They beguile unstable, unstable souls. They trick them. They uh, they lure them. They entice them. And we've seen it. I hate to say it, we, we've seen it. And we're going to see it more in the day in which we live. We see it in the Bible. We see it in reality. There are people that are deceivers. They're good at it. They're very good at it. You're almost amazed and how good they are at it. To deceive people. And yet they do it. They beguile, it says, unstable souls. And so that tells me, the Bible says, establish yourselves, strengthen, establish, settle yourselves. There were to be stable, like firm, on, on a firm foundation. I don't think a stable soul is going to be beguiled by that false teacher among them. The stable soul or the stable souls within that body are going to recognize and go to them. And if they don't repent, they're going to have to put them out. But the unstable souls, thinking when well, they talk about love and they talk about grace and they talk about Jesus and they sing these songs and they do this and they do that and I know them and I love them and I like them, they must be... That's not our standard. The guide or the standard... Or the test is not I love them, I like them. They talked about Jesus, they talked about grace and love. The, the standard is the word of God. The whole thing. From Genesis to Revelation. And so let's look at this real quickly. Uh, you can keep your spot there and turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I already, already gave some of this earlier. And I just want to pick up for time's sake in verse 5. Verse 1 says, This know also in the last days perilous times shall come. It gives a description which we read a lot of. Let's skip down to verse 5. five. Having a form of godliness. So again, they're not just totally uh, saying that there's no God. They're having a form of godliness. That would have to do with their lifestyle, their speech, their conversation. There's something about them that seems spiritual or or of, of the Lord, a form of it, but denying the power thereof from such do what? Hang out with them, spend time with them, go to the movies with them, invite them over for barbecue. Such such from such turn away for of this sort are they we talked about beguiling unstable souls for of this sort are they which creep in the houses. We could say in churches as well. And lead captive, silly women, laden, it's almost funny how that's phrased there, but uh, lead captive, silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that was the problem. They learned and learned and learned. There was no shortage of Christian books and music and, and uh, special conferences and this conference and that conference and, and teachings and Bible studies and gatherings. There's no shortage of that. They're learning, but they're never, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because you know what? Somewhere out there in the midst of it all, there's the truth. That's what I need to find. And that's what I need to build my life upon. And that's Jesus and the truth of His Word. Sanctify them by Thy truth, Father. Thy Word is truth. John seventeen seventeen, And so these people are learning and learning. Form of godliness. But no de- Denying the power thereof. And there is no power in that type of teaching. As I said at the beginning. To deliver a man from sin. Or to keep a saved man walking with Christ. And walking in victory over temptation and so forth. It's just not, not there. But we can turn back. Uh, that's just a, such a good description. Unstable souls. And the Bible says that uh, that a double-minded man's unstable. If God has shown you something, y'all, uh, I don't care where it is. If He has shown you something, you you went and had lunch with a friend of yours that's, that's a Christian. Maybe you've known him a long time. Maybe you don't haven't known him or haven't been around him a long time. they claim to be a Christian, or you've known them as being a Christian. You know that you're a Christian. I don't care what the uh, this, the, the setting is. If they speak something that doesn't line up with the Word of God, I just need to be able to know that and know it, just know it and put my finger on it. Then God will give me wisdom on how to handle it. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe they really need help. Maybe they're just themselves starting to get deceived and you can help them and they're not a proponent of it themselves. Maybe they're just confused. Maybe they are an unstable soul. Maybe they're immature. Maybe they don't study the word of God. And so something comes out of their mouth. Or I've had friends of mine, uh, friends that uh, I graduated high school with, that 20 years later, the Lord put us back in each other's lives in a Christian context at a Bible study. And one would come and say, here, uh, after the Bible study, which I was teaching, oh, Randy, you've got to read this book. It'll change your life. Okay, well, I started, I just looked at the title, thought it was a little weird. I heard, unfortunately, unfortunately uh, I studied this kind of stuff and I knew exactly what it was. And so I actually read through it to highlight and wrote scriptures all over it, what was wrong with it. And I'm, <coughs> arguing, I'm arguing with the book, you know what I mean? Underlining two lines and then I'm putting a scripture on it, underlining the next paragraph, putting a scripture on it with an exclamation point uh, all through the book. He didn't probably really know the error of what he was reading. His pastor or Sunday school teacher probably gave it to him. But but the point is, I needed to know. I need to know. And then God will show me what to do with that knowledge. How do I go to him? I know I don't read it, read it, like to sit under it, read it. Uh, so that's out of the question. I don't believe it because it's not the truth. I want to expose it, but how? That's where we have to have wisdom. Because we could be judgmental. We need to judge all things, but not be of a judgmental what the world would think of as a judgmental attitude. So be careful how you do it. And let the Lord lead you as well. And so, uh, I talked to him about it. But that's a whole other story. My, My point is that we need to know it. We need to know the truth. We need to be able to expose it. The first thing we have to do is know it. Second thing I have to do is avoid it. In other words, don't heed. Don't take heed to it. The minute you do, you start getting a little double-minded and confused. You're not kind of sure what you think. And you put other... You justify it by saying, I know it's so-and-so that's telling me that and I know they're a strong Christian. Or that's a good friend of mine. None of that matters. And the way I know that none of that matters is the Bible tells me. Can you think of anyone other than the Lord, Jesus, you know, that you would put your top three of Christian people? I would think the Apostle Paul would have to be there just because of the calling of God upon his life and how he influenced the world in his day. No question <coughs> about it. Paul said, if I are an angel from heaven, comes and speaks any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. And then to make the point, like the Bible does, I say unto you again, if I, or an angel from heaven, come and speak any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be accursed. He puts himself first in that. If it's me. So that tells me right away, in accordance with other scriptures as well, our standard is not a human, even a saved human, even a godly human, even the most godly human that ever lived, apart from Christ, is not, that's not our standard of what we swallow as truth, what we heed and receive as truth. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, if, and I don't know the population now, it's over probably 7.5 billion, maybe 8 billion. If all 8 billion people in the world including the Christians that are in there, suddenly turned and said, I don't believe it anymore. Here's what I believe. That's not to influence me. I am going to live this way and I'm going to die this way. If you got up and walked out and say, we, we believe something else now. I don't say, well, gosh, they're all, I know them and they're wonderful Christians and, and they taught Sunday school and they, they did this and they went on mission trip. That's not my standard for what's truth and what's true and what's false. It's thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. What saith the Scriptures? Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. You do greatly err not knowing the Scriptures. What saith the Scriptures? And so the Spirit of Truth guides us into all these things, y'all. He guides us. And let's keep reading. We've got a couple more Scriptures here. We said, Having eyes... Full of adultery. Verse 14. They cannot cease from sin. Y'all, they can't cease from sin because they don't have the power. Not that they even want to. Okay? But they cannot cease from sin. So they're in the church. They're in their love feast. They're in the Lord's Supper. Partaking of it like a believer. But they cannot cease from sin. The reason they cannot because the only power to deliver from sin is the Lord. True faith in God. Okay? In the blood of Jesus. And the spirit of truth. They don't have that, even though they got all the trappings of it and all the the uh, the appearance of it. They cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable uh, souls. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices, and then Peter calls them cursed children. And so, you know how the uh, it's amazing that they're not just in sin, but it says here they have a heart that they have exercised, that means trained. I looked it up. What does it mean that they have their heart exercised to these evil, covetous practices? They train themselves for that. They've gotten good at it. They've gotten good at deceiving people. And they can lie with the the smile on their face. And when it's time to cry, they can cry. And they can do all these things. They've exercised their heart to it. And the Bible tells me I'm going to exercise myself under godliness. <coughs> There's a reward in this life and in the life to come for godliness. But these people have actually exercised their hearts to their covetous practices. They've trained themselves how to make merchandise of people in the church. Unstable souls. Silly women led away captive. It's not just women. It's men as well. But in either case, they're unstable souls. Unstable souls. And they're being uh, led away. And then we're going to close with uh, tonight by talking specifically in these next couple of verses um, about Balaam. It's interesting how he's seen so much in the Bible, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. So who is this man Balaam? I know that you know, and I know that you've studied. But we read about him in Numbers, and I want to turn there. I want to turn to Numbers chapter 22. You could teach, I would say, multiple sermons. On Balaam, but so so maybe one day we'll really spend more time. But I want to just give a summary tonight, because these false prophets, who cannot cease from sin, and are trained, have trained their hearts to their covetous practices and so forth. They are compared to Balaam, and and the the key sin for Balaam was that he loved the wages. The Bible said of unrighteousness, Balaam was a, a, a prophet. A Midianite prophet. You're to say, was he true, false, or a pro- false prophet? Obviously, he was a false prophet. But he was called a prophet. Okay? Balaam was a, a Midianite prophet. He was hired by the king of Moab to curse Israel for money. So, the king of Moab says... Israelites are here they've grown they're they're a formidable foe now they're right on my border I'm looking down at them from this mountaintop everyone they've come against they've stomped them and you know and driven out enemies before them and now they're here and there's a prophet I've heard about living over in Midian named uh, Balaam and I'm going to hire him to curse Israel I'm going to pay him a lot of money and guess what Balaam wanted it. He wanted it. He covered it really well. He covered it really well in the way he spoke. And he said some things that you say, well, that sounds pretty godly to me. We just don't have time to read the whole story. But read this with me if you would. So they send this messengers to Balaam from Balak, who is the king of Moab. Verse 6, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. For adventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, that I might may drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom you cursed is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hands. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balaam. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night. So, when these men came and we read what they said, they rehearsed it. They get to his house, what would you say? Okay, uh, uh, Katie, I want you to, uh, somebody comes to you, I want you to preach this false doctrine or I want you to uh, curse your church or your, you know, something just crazy that's not of God at all. We would slam the door. That would be it. Get thee behind me, Satan. Right? Get thee hence. I'm not giving place to the devil. Here's what he said. He said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. Now that sounds very spiritual. Stay here tonight, and I'll I'll get with God, and I'll come back with my answer what the Lord told me. But don't you know what God already told him? And this is where, in in our day and age, and I don't get too far into this, this is where we need to be careful. When you already know something is not of God, don't entertain it. Don't say, well, let me pray about it. That sounds so spiritual. And they say, well, won't you at least pray about it? No, I will not pray about it. Well, Christians pray. You're to pray about everything. You're to pray without season. I don't pray about this. No, I'm not going to pray about it. Because it's not of God. And if I pray about it, I'm not perfect. And I might be deceived. And I might gradually swallow 2% of it. Or soften my stance against it. And I don't want to soften my stance against it. So I'm not going to pray about it. Well, at least pray about it. Christians are to pray. You're to pray. No, I'm not to pray about that. So here's the deal. He says, lodge here and I'll tell you what God shows me. And bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam. Now here's where it ought to have been. It should have been shut, slamming the door in their face. Okay? He, he walked past one barrier, right? <clears throat> and God came unto Balaam. So really Jehovah came and spoke to Balaam. And said, what men are these with thee? When the Lord knew, he wanted Balaam to know. Just like he knew where Adam was, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where he was. Who are these men that came to you? Balaam said unto to God, Balak the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, had sent them unto me, saying, Behold, there's a people, and and so forth. And he wants me to, to curse them. Basically, verse twelve. God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt what? Not. not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Period. A <clears throat> big fat period right there. You know what? That's enough, isn't it? Forgive me, Lord. I knew it already. I should have slammed the door in their faces. But you've showed me. And God, forgive me. You're right. But he doesn't do that. He tells them. And, and, and Balak rose in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, go get you unto your land. Well, it sounds great. The Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. Do you all see that? That he doesn't just say, no, this is not of God. I identify with Jehovah. I'm on the Lord's side. You're not. He says, God refuses to let me go. I pray God just won't let me go with you. As though he's some cruel, you know, father who, who won't let him have any fun. Do you all see the difference in that? It might sound spiritual, but it's not. God just won't let me go with you to curse Israel. That's what he's saying. And, and so uh, the princes of Moaz rose up. They left. They come back again. They ask him again. They're going to increase his rewards even more. And I'm um, just summarizing this. Guess what? God says, okay, Balaam, go on with him. You're going to go. go. Only, t- only say what I tell you to say. He let he lets him go. And guess what happens? We know the story. The donkey has got more wisdom and spiritual insight than Balaam. Because the donkey he's riding on sees the angel of God <clears throat> with the sword drawn, and he ain't after the donkey. He's, he says, I was going to, later he says, I was going to kill you, Balaam, and keep the donkey alive. All right? and he he, he, followed, he turns off into the field and the donkey won't go the right way. And the guys, Balaam's mad and whips him. And then the, the donkey falls down and refuses to walk and Balaam whips him. And then he, he gets into a real narrow area between, area between two walls and he crushes uh, Balaam's leg against the, the wall. Balaam's just getting furious with his donkey. But guess what? The donkey's trying to help him. Because everywhere he goes, there's the, the angel of the Lord in front. And finally comes to the place. There's no turning around. Can't, get, can't turn around. And the, the angel of the Lord is standing there. And the Lord opens the mouth of a donkey. And that's the kindness of God. I know it's silly in a way. But that's the kindness of God. To try to stop this man from the error of his way. And guess what? He told him what was going on. And Balaam still went on in his way. Now, he didn't curse him because he only he did. God spoke through him and it was almost like Balaam was disappointed. He couldn't curse him. He said the, he said the things that God put in his mouth and he almost like apologized. I told you, Balaam, I can only say what God told me, you know, and these pronounces is a blessing over Israel. But but there's what we might read through that and think, well, he was a. You know he 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 was met, he was wrong he was wrong but we might not think of it as being that evil can I tell you that the Bible speaks a lot about him just want to close with this the Bible speaks in in Second Peter about the way of Balaam who loved the wages of unrighteousness the Bible speaks of the error of Balaam in Jude and the Bible speaks of the doctrine of Balaam in Revelation chapter two the Church of Pergamos that he was and they had to repent. The Bible speaks a lot and it's not good. The Lord looks at that as being, this isn't just a lost person. He loved the wages, the Bible said, of unrighteousness. He loved it. What a contrast between the true prophets of God who are not out to make merchandise of, of people. They want to bring them good news that their souls will be saved. And bring them out of the, the sin and bondage that they're in. A true prophet of God. The false prophets love the ways wages of unrighteousness. They literally get material things out of it. And maybe they get popularity. And maybe they get esteem and, and prestige and so forth. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, an, uh, it's an interesting story that I wish we had more time to really uh, delve into. I want to read a couple of quotes and I'm going to close, y'all. Balaam is a, a fearful example of a man who was a prophet, and there's quotes there, whom God told what not to do, whom God hindered in his wrongdoing by the donkey, but in spite of everything, secretly Balaam clung to his love for what he thought he would get out of his unrighteousness. And so he perished in his unrighteousness. And this is one that these false, doctrine, uh, false prophets are compared to. They're compared to, um, to Balaam. And the last scripture is, and I know we've been a while, the last scripture talks about their are wells without water and clouds without rain. Jude says the exact same thing. If you were a farmer or just anybody and there had been a drought and you were longing for that refreshing of the water for you, for the animals, for the ground, for everything, and you see the big dark cloud rolling up in the thunder, you're getting excited. Here it comes. Here comes that rain we've been needing. And what if it just came and passed over and never dropped a drop of rain? You're like, wait, wait, wait. What happened? This is what these false prophets are like. They promise things. They're clouds without water. Joy, your best life now, and and joy and fullness of this and grace and grace. And all these, whatever they promise that's not truly of God. But they're never able to deliver. The people are still depressed, but all, they, all the, the, the church ever talks about is joy in the minister. But the people aren't joyful. They're angry. They're depressed. They're suspicious. They're disobedient to parents. They don't, they don't get little clicks. They don't get along with other people. There's no peace. There's no joy. And yet, all that's ever being talked about is love and peace and joy. They're not able to deliver their clouds without rain and their wells without water. I'm out in a dry place. I can see well, it looks like a well of water. I can't wait to get there. Half a more mile. I'll be there. Finally get to the well of water and it's bone dry and there's dust in the bottom. They, they promise you something, but they can't deliver. And it comes as a uh, as a great disappointment. The Lord wants to warn us of this. And I'm just going to close with, with this scripture because I want to close with something more upbeat and, and, and <clears throat> hopeful. We looked at the false prophets and the Bible says in Romans 10, 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when you share the gospel with with your brother, when you share the gospel with a a stranger and you're bringing them tidings of peace. This person can't sleep at night because they're so troubled in their minds and in their souls. They got to take medicine to go to sleep. They got to take medicine to wake up. And you say, God can set you free from all that. I'm bringing you some good tidings. You're not trying to make merchandise to them. How beautiful that is. Why? Because God gave you the love and compassion for them. And he's made you a minister of reconciliation. As you've been saved, then you're sent out to be that. By all means, save some. It's the Lord that saves them, but through our lives to save them. I just want to close with that, y'all, and um, and and keep our eyes on the Lord. I just encourage you again not to not that you are, but I pray that you're not coming away from these studies at all with a fear like an unhealthy or an irrational fear of. Oh my goodness, I, you know, I can't watch any preacher on TV. I can't read any book other than the Bible. I can't listen to anybody except, you know, the people at Cornerstone or something like. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, walk in the truth, keep your eyes on Jesus. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. Don't live in fear of that. but, but take it seriously. God is warning us, and of all the people that ever lived, from Adam and Eve till now. <coughs> We are living in the age right now that's most characterized by deception. Lord, what's going to be the sign of Your coming? And when are all these things going to come to pass? What's going to be uh, of Your appearing and all that? And He says, take heed that no man deceive you. First thing out of Jesus' mouth. And He he continues on it through the whole. Matthew 24. Y'all stand with me tonight. I know we went kind of long. I just want us to pray. Come and thank the Lord, if nothing else. Come and pray and say, thank you, Lord, for keeping me from being deceived. Thank you that you've given me the means by which not to be deceived. The Spirit of truth so graciously poured out upon believers. The Word of God. Wonderful ministers and people that can speak into my life. The fellowship of the believers. God, help us not to just downplay deception as though it's some little thing. It's not. And so just come and pray. And we've got our new kneeling bench here. And uh, I just pray that we would just worship the Lord just a few minutes here before we go tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.